trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies, they're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome to The Brian Hyde Show. Brought to you by the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, also Jeff Staples Real Estate and Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. My calendar says Tuesday. That means uh, fellow wrong thinker Eric Peters from epautos.com is joining me. Um, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again, Brian. Fantastic to catch up with you. And there's there's so much going on. It's it's hard to know where to begin. But I want to start with with some of the uh, well the, the crumbling narrative about lockdowns. You were mentioning before we went on the air that um, there's there's a very large protest taking place in New York. I'm not seeing a lot in mainstream media, but this is something people should know about. What's the skinny? Well, there actually is a massive pushback against both the the diapering decrees and the lockdowns. Uh, that is happening among the Orthodox Jewish community uh, in New York City, which has had their fill of this. And I think it's just particularly delicious that that group, more than any other group, is making this protest because perhaps they're more sensitive to this whole idea of ghettoizing people and anathematizing people and, and making people a pariah class, i.e. the people who refuse to put on the diaper and go along with the narrative. Perhaps they see where this sort of thing will lead, and they've got the guts to stand up for it. They're actually burning the diapers in the street and getting together in large groups wow. and just refusing to, to lock themselves in their hole like people in a ghetto. Now, see, what I have seen in the media, predictably, because this supports the lockdown narratives, I've seen Mayor de Blasio threatening to shut down the synagogues if these people don't fall in line. Well, sure, it's exactly what Jürgen Schroep, the SS uh, uh, military commander of the Warsaw Ghetto, did in 1944 with the most brutal repercussions to any Jews who dared to try to leave the ghetto. They burned the whole place down rather than let the people be free, and that is exactly the sort of dynamic that we're, we're facing today. It's not as extreme, but the principle is exactly the same. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear about the pushback, and I'm, I'm seeing some cracks appear in other parts of the narrative as well. Uh, just yesterday, I was sharing information with my listeners about uh, the World Health Organization has backed mm-hmm. away from lockdowns, saying, actually, they're very destructive. You know, this is a 180, and it's been done pretty mm-hmm. quietly and without fanfare, but that's good news. And the CDC also has put out information which appears to show that uh, those who wear masks and get tested are more likely to uh, to have been infected with COVID than those who do not wear masks. Yeah, well, another thing that was just released the other day, though, it's not being reported on again, which tells you something, and which explains why your humble uh, correspondent here has never put on the diaper, is that my risk of dying from the coronavirus is 0.0002. Now, if you're younger than you and I are, the risk is 0.0002. Zero three. Wow. Now, the seasonal flu risk, uh, the death rate for that is 0.1. So this tells you something about the nature of the threat of the coronavirus, which is, of course, not being told to people. And as you and I were talking a little bit about off the air, I think it's really interesting, very telling, that 
any bit of good news, no matter how ironclad, no matter how verifiable, verifiable even when pervaded by the air quotes, the science, mm-hmm. is, is, is refuted, it's rejected, almost with hostility, as if, no, 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 don't tell me anything that, that contradicts this terrible, dire narrative that we're all going to die. And what does that imply? What does that suggest? It's in somebody's interest to keep us afraid with nothing but yes. bad news. Yes, it's a, it's a manufactured crisis at this point. You know, when you've got people who refuse to acknowledge, yeah, you know what, wow, that's really good. It turns out things aren't as bad as we thought they were. So therefore, you know, logically, these extreme measures that have been imposed on the populace are not necessary. The problem with that is they want the extreme measures imposed on the populace, and the woo-flu hysteria has just been the convenient excuse for that. They've attempted this before. With the climate change hysteria, we're all going to die because the Earth is going to just implode and be non-existent in a couple of years, uh, and all the various other crises throughout the ages. They came up with this new one, which I will give them credit for, has been remarkably effective in, pursu- in, in furthering their agenda of absolute domination and control of our lives. And now that that narrative is beginning to slip a little bit and beginning to fall apart, they're becoming absolutely deranged and hysterical in their opposition to the telling of any bit of good news whatsoever. Oh, yeah. And is it any coincidence that uh, the people who get most concerned when some good news appears and the ones who seem to want to maintain that attitude of fear and, and crisis all happen to be raging government supremacists? Every one of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a correlation there. You can see it that the people who are most ardent, ardently uh, governmentites are the people who are most ardently both wearing the diaper and insisting that you wear the diaper as well, and pro-lockdown and all of that. You know, I'm by no means in lockstep with the orange man on this, but the orange man is right. This is a political issue. It's not a health issue. Yeah. Well, and, and here's a good example. I was telling you about this off the air. The Great Barrington Declaration went live just a little over a week ago. And and this is the product of a, a meeting from the uh, American Institute for Economic Research. They brought mm-hmm. together some very respected experts, three of the highly respected experts in the field of epidemiology, uh, Harvard professor Dr. Martin Koldorf, Oxford professor Dr. Sunetra Gupta, and Stanford professor Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Mm-hmm. And these scientists... Look, they're, they're not saying it's a hoax. They're not going down the conspiracy rabbit mm-hmm. hole. They're just saying there's a better way to do this than to treat everybody like a, like a prisoner under house arrest. They're of fo- course. They say focus on protecting mm-hmm. the vulnerable, but get everybody else back to life so that we can get herd immunity building throughout the general population. And the funny thing is the people who are like, well, now we need to believe the science. Okay, well, here's three very respected scientists saying maybe this is a better way. Well, not those scientists. Hmm. Of course, exactly right. Just as just as you remember a few months ago, I can't recall their names, but there were a couple of highly credentialed doctors who uh, put forward a, a non-political video that was on YouTube and other social media that talked about, okay, look, this is this is what you're looking at. This is what the risks are, and they're actually quite low for almost everybody who isn't very elderly and already very sick, and therefore you really shouldn't be as freaked out about this as the media and these people who want omnipotent government are trying to convince you that you should be. Uh, And again, it gets back to what we were talking about. It's just about keeping the populace terrified. They keep talking about the cases, the cases, the cases, without any context. They don't tell you that most of these cases are based on very sketchy, very iffy testing protocols, and that the majority of the people who quote-unquote test positive never have symptoms. And almost none of them, literally a fraction of a fraction, ever die from this. They don't tell you that. Why don't they tell you that? Yeah. 
Well, it's here, here's the thing that I'm noticing, and that is the, the line between science and politics is very definitely being blurred. And, and that's not a bad thing in some people's eyes. I, I saw a tweet yesterday from mm-hmm. um, someone who was, was showing a headline from Nature. Uh, I think it's nature.com. Anyway, Nature Magazine, Why Nature Needs to Cover Politics Now More Than Ever. And the sub-headline mm-hmm. is, Science and Politics Are Inseparable and Nature will be publishing more politics, news, comment, and primary research in the coming weeks and month. And someone had a mic drop of a moment response to that saying, because it can't be true unless it's politicized. Well, exactly. Everything has become political science, not just science, but everything has been politicized in this country, which is, it's depressing, it's alarming, and it needs to be dialed back somehow. This is how things were in countries like the old Soviet Union and, of course, uh, the example of Nazi Germany, and I know it gets tired, tiresome bringing that up, but it's the truth. Everything was viewed in the context of adherence to the political orthodoxy. It didn't used to be that case. the case. It used to be that things such as science, used to be that things such as the law were judged according to those criteria, not to whether they conformed to some political orthodoxy. And unfortunately, now everything has to be conforming to a political orthodoxy. Well, I'm, I'm just happy to see some of these cracks appearing in the narrative, and, and I'm grateful for the efforts of people like you who, uh, at some risk to yourself, have, have absolutely refused to yield an inch when it comes to uh, outward expressions of obedience like face diapering. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I, I want to qualify that. The risk to myself is minimal compared to the risk that we all face if we don't push back against this. I'm absolutely convinced that if this diapering thing and the lockdowns and the whole narrative behind it isn't dialed back, isn't pushed back. We face an absolute nightmare scenario where everybody is forced not only to diaper, but to accept being needled and this quack scene that's being developed that's probably going to have all sorts of harmful side effects if, if passed as prologue. Most vaccines that are on the market have a demonstrable objective higher risk than the coronavirus has to healthy people the cashless society, all of it, this, this control grid network where everything we do is micromanaged by a managerial technocratic elite. If you want that, then don't do anything. Then just stand back and, oh, it's no big deal. I'll put on the diaper. I'll, I'll stay home. I won't work. I'll abide by the decrees of the Gesundheitsführers. Not me. I want no part of that. <laughs> okay, on that note, we're going to take a very quick break. Eric okay. Peters from EP Autos is my guest. We will uh, pay a couple of bills here. We'll be back. We're going to talk about the origins of the safety cult when we return. The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. I'm talking with Eric Peters from epautos.com. And Eric, before we dive into the next topic, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's take sure. a moment here and shamelessly plug your website. For the sake of freedom lovers as well as uh, automotive information seekers, uh, tell them about your site. Oh, you bet. It's uh, epautos.com. And if you're interested in, in discussions um, about libertarian political ideas, if you're interested in just uh, rambling about cars, new and old motorcycles, pretty much anything under the sun, uh, come on down. It's a safe space for free thinkers. All right. 
And 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 I would encourage people not only visit the site but participate. You have you have a wonderfully active uh, commenting community, and I swear I learned more from some of the commenters on your articles than I ever would have thought possible. You have some really really smart people who uh, read and contribute on your page. Indeed, uh, in fact, that's one of the things that's most gratifying to me about having the site is that it has attracted such quality people. I myself learn something almost every day from the people who bring to bear uh, incredible backgrounds and incredible intelligence and who have things to say that I often had not thought of myself, and I am humbled and appreciative of all those people who contribute to the site. Now, you had a recent uh, article that, uh, I, that really caught my eye because you, you talk about the origins of the safety cult. Mm-hmm. And I've loved that phrase ever since I first heard you use that. It drives, it drives people with a controlling nature crazy, but that's okay with me. Talk to me about the safety cult, um, what it mm-hmm. is, and, and where did it come from? Well, it is a cult. A cult is defined as uh, people who are, are sort of mesmerized by an odd code that brooks no criticism where you have to follow the arbitrary decrees of a deranged leader. And I think the safety cult qualifies for that. Uh, among other things, it's completely arbitrary. Many examples come to mind. For you know, Right now, if we want to talk about the face diapers, somehow it's considered safe and healthy to have any old rag over your mouth, a bandana, uh, a dust mask, whatever. Even though it serves absolutely no medical purpose, it serves the purpose of the cultic initiation ritual of wearing this, this piece of clothing that shows you buy into the dogma. That's one example of it. Another example is that in some laws, in some states like mine, uh, it's required by the safety cult to wear a helmet when you're riding a motorcycle. However, you can wear a T-shirt and shorts and flip-flops while riding the motorcycle, too. <laughs> now, the, the, the origins of the safety cult, somehow, probably back in the 60s is when it began, the role of the government went from protecting our rights to somehow parenting us and protecting us, as they style it, from ourselves and from risks out there. And that has metastasized and morphed into what we're dealing with right now, with this suffocating, overweening government and these bureaucrats and politicians who think that it is their rightful and proper role to parent us. And if I had to pin the tail on the donkey as to when it specifically began, I think it began when the government decreed, I think it was in 1964, 65, right around that time, that all new cars must have seatbelts. That's when it began. And then a few few years after that, they decreed, of course, logically, that adults must wear the seatbelts. Then fast forward another few years, and all of a sudden, kids had to be strapped down like furniture inside the cars for safety. And now you hear it everywhere. I mean, it's ululated almost, right? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the secular governmental version of the rabid Islamist ululation that you hear in the streets of Tehran. Safety! You know... I, I've seen an article just within the last few weeks, too, about how this, this mandated safety, particularly car seats for kids, mm-hmm. has, has affected how people buy automobiles. It also has affected how many kids people choose to have because families legitimately have to be concerned. Well, if we, uh, if we have this many kids, we can't fit that many car seats in the car, so we have to choose. You know, do we buy a new sure. vehicle? Maybe that's not a possibility. Let's, you know, let's refrain from, from having another kid. Sure. And there's also the hassle factor. Let's add that into the fray. You know, when you and I grew up, when our parents took us for a drive, you open the door and jump in the car and go. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And you got to where you were going, and the car door flew open, and usually because we were more agile and uh, we we had more energy, we'd be out of the car first and running to the door or whatever, wherever we were going. Now, think about the ordeal. I mean, you've experienced this because you're a parent. 
of having everywhere you go, before you go, you got to strap them down. And, you know, then you got to strap them out, rinse and repeat. And those poor kids, I can't even imagine what it must be to have to experience your, your formative years, you know, from the time you're an infant all the way up to, in some states, what, 10, 11 years old or even older than that? Oh, yeah. Strapped into some kind of a seat like a pint-sized Hannibal Lecter. Well, and there's there's also the issue of getting the seat itself properly installed. And and believe it or not, there are compliance checkpoints and, and sometimes sure helpful, helpful checkpoints where a police officer or public safety official will make sure you've got your seat properly installed. If my grandson comes to visit me and we want to go somewhere with him, it is exactly a hassle mm-hmm. having to pull his car seat out of my daughter's Subaru and put it into the family car and make sure it's properly strapped in and then strap him in. It, it mm-hmm. adds a lot of time to, to what should be a simple trip to the Butterfly Museum. Sure, and there's this gaslighting, unctuous moralizing that, again, dovetails with the face diapering, that somehow you're a bad person, a bad parent, if you're exposing your child to risk by not putting them in the safety seat. And again, it's a hypothetical risk. Of course it's a risk. It's a risk if you let your kid go out in the woods. It's a risk if you let your kid play football. But by by and large, these things, bad things don't happen, but they're conditioning people to act as if bad things are certain to happen. If you don't do all of these safety things, and the result of that is we've got a paralyzed nation of people who are terrified of everything. Talk to me about where the supposed authority for laws governing this came from. Well, exactly. Where did it come from? I don't have an answer to that. I've read the Constitution. I see nothing in the Constitution that says it is the rightful role of the government to tell parents how to protect and raise their children. Uh, You know, this is not something of a piece with harming a child. You can assert that there's a risk, but you're not hurting them by not making them ride in a child seat. Yet somehow the government has acquired this almost limitless authority not only to parent our children, but to parent us. And I don't get where it came from. Did you ever give proxy power to a politician to tell you how to raise your kids? Never. Yeah, and I think more people need to ask this question, and it bears an answer. Well, and I I think the warning that you sound in this column um, is, look... These, these are incremental steps. It's not like we're going to reach a point where, they're going to, where the safety cultists are going to say, okay, enough, we're good enough. It's, right. They're always going to be wanting to take it one step further. Sure. Anybody who has any memory at all that goes back farther than last week can see this. It should be luminously obvious by now. We have reached a point of absolute Harrison, Harrison Bergeron absurdity, and that's a reference, reference to a, a great story, by a short story by uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, in which things that would have been unimaginably ridiculous over the top are now just accepted as, as, oh, that's okay, that's reasonable, that's normal. And it's because it's a series of steps, piece by piece by piece. Habituate people, normalize these things, and you get to a point where we're actually literally almost prisoners now, aren't we, in our own home. I mean, they're nicer, kind of, I guess, than a, a federal pen, but in principle, it's the same thing. Well, and it comes down to, as you point out in your article, it's a question of self-ownership. That's right. Exactly right. Uh, Ultimately, there is this question, who owns us? Either we own us, ourselves as individuals, or it's implicit, isn't it, that somebody else owns us? And isn't that the working operational definition of what it means to be a slave? And do you like the idea of being a slave, of being owned by somebody else? I personally hate that idea. No, I, I do as well. Eric, we got about one minute here. Um, okay. Quick thoughts on uh, the election draws near. Um, what do you think? In uh, what? How? How? Do, what does your gut tell you about uh, what's on the horizon? 
gosh, I, I wish I could answer that question. My, my, my prayer, and I'm not very religious, but my prayer is that somehow the orange man pulls it off. And I say that only because the orange man does not seem to be an ardent diaperer. And therefore, I see that his, his uh, winning again as being the only way that we're going to avoid the nightmare of national diapering, which the other guy has promised, along with the needling and all the rest of it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know what to say either as far as, uh, you know, something's stirring in the breeze, but I couldn't tell you what. All I can say is that funny feeling in my stomach isn't going away. Yeah, yeah hey. we've got a couple of weeks to go. Eric, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I'll look forward to our visit next week. You bet, Brian. Thank you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. It's a big deal when you buy a house, right? I'm not telling you, if you've sat down and you've signed you know, paperwork for like a half hour straight. You understand it's a big deal. It's the biggest purchase any of us will ever make, which means there are a lot of details and you want to make sure you're getting everything right. This is where my friend John Staples and his lovely wife, Heather, can help you. If you are looking to refinance your existing mortgage, maybe you're ready to purchase a new home and need a new home mortgage. Maybe you just want to get pre-qualified so you can go out and shop with confidence. Patriot Home Mortgage can help you. They're active in 23 different states, and that means they've got uh, lots and lots of resources and lots of reach to get the job done for you. I specifically want to recommend the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage just because I've known John personally for over 20 years. He is a stand-up guy, honest, hardworking, and very resourceful. He comes with my highest recommendation. Go to staplesmortgage.com to find out more, staplesmortgage.com, and please let them know you check them out. You did business with them because you heard me talk about them here on this program. So I guess you've probably heard about the uh, so-called terror plot in Michigan, right? A foiled kidnapping plot broken up by the FBI. And look, if I sound skeptical, I I apologize, but uh, we've heard this before. How many times have there been, you know, instances where, well, the FBI today broke up a plot by this militia, I think it was the Arizona Diamondback or the uh, Michigan Hootery, uh, you know, militia, to, to go out and commit violence against public officials. And these headlines are sensational, and they scare the crap out of people who see any, you know, group of people with guns, you know, especially, you know, patriots who are, are you know, doing peaceful but armed protests as, well, they're, they're out there trying to, you know, commit violence against public officials. And yet you dig just a little bit deeper and suddenly the whole story starts to emerge and it's, it's astonishing how rarely these plots turn out to be an actual plot. What it turns out to be more often than not is some FBI confidential informant or agent provocateur is sent out with some harebrained plot to, to go look for recruits, look for somebody who's angry with what government is doing and who is willing to nod their head at the right time when they say, we ought to do something about it, man. In other words, what they're saving us from 
usually turns out to be a plot of their own making, a monster of their own creation. And so I'm pretty skeptical. And look, um, you know, Russiagate notwithstanding, and, uh, you know, the the attempted coup against uh, Trump starting even before he was elected, the FBI was complicit in that. The FBI has been complicit in other nasty bits of business. The killing of Randy Weaver, Waco, the murder of Lavoie Finicum. There's some pretty ugly stuff going on. And let me just say, I'll just come right out and say it. It's a very politicized law enforcement agency. So anything that the FBI says, I automatically look at with a degree of suspicion and think, okay, what's the political angle on this? How, how are they milking this for some kind of political advantage? I don't trust them. And so when I hear, well, apparently there was uh, people arrested in Michigan for, uh, they were trying to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and put her on trial for treason over the lockdown she imposed on the state. Now, let's put some context on this. Yes, people in Michigan were righteously ticked off, and I think rightly so, with the the ways that that she asserted executive authority that really wasn't hers to assert, and, and lawmaking authority that definitely was not hers to assert, in locking down her state, destroying the economy, forbidding people from so much as buying garden seeds, all in the name of, I'm just protecting you from COVID. So while I'm not condoning you know, kidnapping, assuming there was a legit kidnapping plot. Again, I'm still very skeptical of that. But can you understand that people were rightly upset with this governor who recognized no meaningful boundaries to her powers? Functionally, that's that's how totalitarianism operates. There are no limits. I am the law, as Judge Dredd would say. Well, there's a great article from James Bovard Pick this up off the American Institute for Economic uh, Research's website. Two types of terror in, in Michigan. Hashtag Stop Trump's Terror is one of the hottest trending topics on Twitter. By the way, that's because the Michigan governor is trying to uh, equate President Trump and those who protested her draconian lockdown policies with those who allegedly were trying to kidnap her. He says, yesterday the FBI announced the arrest of six people in a plot Perhaps government hatched, wisely he puts in the the qualifier, to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and put her on trial for treason for destroying the state's economy with the lockdowns she imposed. Seven other individuals were arrested and charged with violating Michigan's anti-terrorism law. Now James Bovard says, look, Trump had no connection to the plot, and at least one of the alleged plotters denounced Trump as a tyrant and the enemy. But Trump's condemnation of lockdowns was enough for Governor Whitmer to announce to denounce Trump as complicit with the plotters. This is, by the way, a tried and true tactic by most victimizers, wife beaters. You know, you made me do this or, you know, they, they try to play the victim. And Governor Gretchen Whitmer is no different. The victimizer loves to portray herself as a victim. She derided Trump for spending the last seven months denying science, ignoring his own health experts, stoking distrust, fomenting anger, and giving comfort to those who spread fear and hatred and division. Wow, I hope she took a breath before writing all that. Former FBI official Frank Figluzzi told MSNBC that Donald Trump should be investigated for aiding and abetting the Michigan plot. Whitmer, one of the Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden's favorite governors, enraged many Michiganders by locking down the state after the outbreak of COVID-19. 
Whitmer placed almost the entire state under house arrest, dictating a $1,000 fine for anyone who left their home to visit family or friends. Business owners faced up to three years in prison for refusing to close their operations. Whitmer severely restricted what stores could sell and prohibited purchasing seeds for spring planting after she decreed that a non-essential act that a non-essential activity. By the way, purchasing state lottery tickets was still considered an essential activity. Get the picture? Though COVID infections were concentrated in the Detroit metropolitan area, Whitmer shut down the entire state, including northern counties with few cases, boosting unemployment to 24% statewide. In a tweet last week, Trump said, Whitmer has done a terrible job. She locked down her state for everyone except her husband's boating activities. Now, Whitmer's actions infuriated many Michiganders, and no informants were necessary to spur much of the anti-government rhetoric recited in the federal indictment yesterday. Again, this is an article published a few days ago. Plenty of hotheads, James Bovard says, say things online or allegedly in in encrypted messages that look menacing or idiotic in cold print afterwards. Threatening violence against government officials or anyone else is reprehensible. But he asks, how far did those guys move toward actually carrying out their plot? Last month, some of the conspirators, quote, drove to the area surrounding the Whitmer vacation residence and discussed detonating explosives to divert police, even checking the underside of a bridge for spots to place a charge, as the Washington Post summarized the incident. Now, the FBI admits that it paid one informant $8,600, and there may be other payments that are revealed in the coming days or weeks. FBI agents have been taught that subjects of FBI investigations have forfeited their right to the truth, which helps explain the vast increase in in federal entrapment operations in recent decades. Trevor Aronson, author of The Terror Factory, Inside the FBI's Manufactured War on Terrorism, estimated that only about 1% of the 500 people charged with international terrorism were in the the decade after 9-11 were bona fide threats. 30 times as many were induced by the FBI to behave in ways that prompted their arrest. And the Bureau's informant program extends far beyond Muslims. It bankrolled an extremist right-wing New Jersey blogger and radio host for five years before his 2009 arrest for threatening federal judges. A long-term FBI informant organized the Ku Klux Klan rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in July 2017. So James Bovard says the alleged Michigan plot is almost too idiotic to believe. The alleged conspirators purportedly planned to kidnap Governor Whitmer and take her to Wisconsin for a private trial. This is on par with the 2006 FBI-fabricated terror plot of the Liberty City 7, where an informant swayed a bunch of dimwits to babble about blowing up government buildings. That group was so knuckleheaded that they asked the informant for military uniforms and wanted to conduct a parade. Now, he says the Michigan conspirators are receiving vastly more coverage than a recent Michigan Supreme Court decision which effectively labeled Whitmer a lawless dictator who had extended a state of emergency far beyond what an unconstitutional state law allowed. Instead of obeying the ruling of the highest state court, Whitmer responded by having the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services issue new COVID-19 emergency orders that are nearly identical to her invalidated emergency orders. That's according to the Mackinac Center. All right, I got to take a break, so we're going to come back to this in a few moments. But even if you're kind of a skeptic, can we at least agree that maybe there's more than one type of terror at work in Michigan? And some of it may actually be originating from the government side. Imagine that. We'll be back in just a moment. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you a commentary from James Bovard. This was published on the American Institute for Economic Research. And it's talking about two types of terror in Michigan. If you've heard about the so-called Michigan terror plot, where allegedly individuals were planning on kidnapping and holding Governor Whitmer hostage, maybe putting her on trial for treason, James Bovard is making a very strong case that take that with a grain of salt. And, and don't let that become leverage for, see, these people who aren't obeying all the lockdown edicts, they're all a bunch of anti-government violent extremists. Now, if you remember, just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, a Michigan Supreme Court decision struck down Ju- or Governor Whitmer's executive orders and her state of emergency. She responded by, by having the Michigan Department of Health and Human Service issue new COVID-19 emergency orders. And she basically said, I have 21 days to do whatever I want. Now, keep in mind, four months earlier, the Michigan Court of Claims condemned Whitmer for contorting a Michigan workplace safety law to unjustifiably inflict additional penalties on businesses and individuals who failed to submit to her pandemic commands. But according to the media, locking Michigan down, that's not tyranny. Why, it's public service. And James Bovard says anyone who protests or heartily condemns lockdowns will also be presumed collectively guilty with the Michigan plotters. He says the same media moral framework will likely be used to exonerate new lockdowns that may be imposed in the name of curbing COVID-19. Just a few days ago, many pundits denounced Trump as a would-be Mussolini, Mussolini rather, for his statement on the White House balcony after he returned from Walter Reed Hospital. Commentators were horrified that Trump, who was standing outside, not close to anyone, removed his face mask. James Bovard warns if Biden is elected president and fulfills his promise to impose a national face mask mandate or dictates a national shutdown of the economy, such actions will be portrayed as benevolence at its best, rather than the most foolhardy federal interventions since the 55-mile-per-hour speed limit. And he says, will the Michigan plot be touted by the media to valorize every government official who placed any American under house arrest in response to the pandemic? It is possible to heartily condemn both nitwit conspirators and oppressive politicians. Unfortunately, though, he says the media will likely pay far more attention to the, bone, to the bluster of boneheads than to the actual devastation produced by unjustified shutdowns. Man, I love how straight James Bovard tells it. And I will have this uh, included in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhideshow.com. Okay, a couple quick articles here that I want to share in the remaining few moments. Um, I, I've talked a lot about the Great Barrington Declaration. If you haven't checked it out, please check out the article that I'm sharing from Ethan Yang, again from the American Institute for Economic Research. This one's called Reddit's Censorship of the Great Barrington Declaration. There's a link there in his article where you can go and read the declaration for yourself. If you choose, you may want to sign and put your name on it as well. Now, this article was published back on October 8th. But Ethan Yang talks about how earlier last week, the Great Barrington Declaration went live. 
garnering over 100,000 signatures at the time of his writing. It's probably closer to half a million by now, maybe more. And he says, the declaration, which has been highlighted by celebrities and intellectuals across the world, called for a focused protection approach to combating COVID-19. The declaration explains, quote, the most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection, while better protecting those who are at highest risk. We call this focused protection. Now, this policy would be grounded in the traditional response to pandemics emulated by countries like Sweden, rather than the the experimental lockdown approach that's characterized much of the world's response to COVID-19. It takes a more realistic approach to the pandemic, says Ethan Yang, understanding that there are certain trade-offs that must be weighed, and it affirms the necessity of preserving to the best extent possible the normal functioning of society. The original architects of the Declaration are three highly respected figures in the field of epidemiology. Now, the main thrust of his article, though, is the incredible efforts that are being gone to right now to censor the Great Barrington Declaration. Reddit actually just shut it right down, saying, Sorry, this post has been removed by the moderators of uh, Reddit Coronavirus or Reddit uh, COVID-19. Moderators remove posts from feeds for posts from feeds for a variety of reasons, including keeping communities safe, civil, and true to their purpose. And Ethan Yang says this seems rather strange given that there are COVID-19 discussion forums filled with news and research reports relating to the virus. The, de- the declaration was crafted and signed by the world's leading experts in medicine, particularly epidemiology. It's surely more important than this subreddit post about Lana, Lana Del Rey being criticized for wearing a mesh mask. And he's got a link to it. Why would they want to shut it down? Why would they want to deny more robust debate? Isn't that how you get the best policy is by, by hashing it out? putting forth the ideas, letting people examine and, and choose which are the good ones and which are the bad ones. Now, see, this is where government supremacists are going to step forward and loudly proclaim, but you can only trust these experts. Oh, the ones that are collecting a government paycheck? Yes, exactly. Wait, no, what? Uh, uh, yes, our experts. More than anything, this shows that lockdown is an ideology. And Ethan Yang has a terrific analysis of, of how we are seeing that unfold. If you look at the headlines, he says, regarding COVID-19, all you see are narratives that forward anxiety and despair. The conversation surrounding policy is overwhelmingly skewed towards more lockdowns, more masks, more hysteria. And I'm going to put in a big plug for American Institute for Economic Research here. They have been an incredible resource of rational, non-partisan, non-politicized data and information and analysis And they've rightly pointed out that there's much more to this than simply that we've got to do this in the name of safety. There are other considerations that go far beyond what destruction of virus might cause and that that acknowledge the incredible destruction caused by artificially depriving people of their ability to make a living, as well as the mental health aspects. I highly recommend that you read the Great Barrington Declaration. Take a look at Ethan Yang's article in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. 
And just ask yourself, why would people want to stifle debate on such an important topic? Why would they want to limit our ability to examine all the ideas out there? I can't tell you why, but I'm sure you could probably come up with some reasons on your own as you look at it. Okay, one final thought here. This is not to fan any flames of fear, but um, I saw this article from Kent McManigal, Don't Get Complacent. And I thought, this is worth sharing. And what sparked this is when my wife and I went to Costco earlier this week, um, or I guess last week, we noticed that the run on toilet paper had begun anew. Now, Kent McManigal says, I feel like a crap hit the fan event is imminent. Now, he says, notice I don't say I think it is. Rather, it's just a feeling, maybe triggered by the upcoming election. And he says, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm almost definitely wrong. If you can see it coming, it's not going to happen. He goes, that's almost a guarantee. Just like the corona apocalypse came at us out of nowhere, triggered by unexpected government overreactions to a fairly normal virus, he says a more serious event will also be a surprise. Consider the corona panic a practice run. It should have shown you the holes in your preps if you were paying attention. Now, he says, I lucked out with this pandemic because I was ready. Well, maybe it wasn't completely luck. He says, I've prepped for years just in case, and it finally paid off. I was pretty sure I wouldn't see it coming when it finally happened, and he says, and I didn't. But it didn't, it didn't matter because I stay ready all the time, and I've done so since well before the Y2K fizzle. I intend to be just as ready, if not more ready, the next time something comes along. He says, now even though governments are still desperate to fan the flames of concern with regard, with regard to COVID-19, most people, except raging government supremacists, are over it. And here's his warning. He says, it would be easy to breathe a sigh of relief now and let the prepping slide. It's hard to keep up with it all, at least all of the time. He says, other things seem to be more pressing during the calm after the storm. But he says, I can't let myself fall into that trap, even if it means I'm at odds with those around me. After the storm is also, in every instance, before another storm. And this isn't going to be the exception. So his point is, he feels internal pressure to keep up the preps, and he says, I'm going to listen to it, even if I look silly for doing so. And I just want to echo his call to don't be complacent. Don't be fearful. Okay, You don't need to do that. But let's pay attention to what's going on around us. And if you found some holes in your preparations, you know, with the earlier panic and run on the stores back in March, this is this is the time to quietly fill those gaps, which I hope you've been doing all along. Also, look for ways to partner up with the people around you that you can trust. We're going to need to help take care of each other. This is The Brian Hyde Show.